firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Welcome to Black Lives Matter. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. This uh, this is the Truth to Power Show Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay Nathan. And joining us today by phone is Ben Samaral. Um, welcome, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, good, good. So Ben Samaral is a New York City-based uh, actor, writer, and theater artist. He has appeared on Comedy Central and the Sundance Film Festival, as well as Drama Desk, Drama Desk nominated theatrical productions. Um, I guess recently, maybe relative, but you were seeing a feature film, Aviva? Yes. Yes. Tell us about that, and tell us a little bit about your... Um, uh, your acting and um, theater art and all this kind of stuff, yeah. Well, you know, Aviva that you know it came out actually right in the in the height of the pandemic year, and it was uh, yeah, a pretty unique movie. It was uh, like the story of a of an immigrant, and it was a love story, but it also uh, was told in a sort of gender bendy way. And you see the same characters falling in love, but you see both their male and their female manifestations. Um, so you see the different kind of interaction of the different uh, gender elements of their characters, and it was, a, it was a dance movie, and it was an interesting piece. Yeah, yeah. So um, that sounds really interesting. And like that, that was, and then when you say it was during the pandemic, did they um, do it over Zoom, or how did they do the production? Uh, well, I mean, it was shot video? actually before the pandemic. Oh, shot okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it came out uh, during then. So yeah, it was. I, I was kind of bummed, you know. It was. Uh, it had its premiere at South by Southwest, and I had friends in Austin and was hoping to go down for the premiere and all that. But of course, the year that it premiered at South by was the year South by was all virtual. But uh, I guess we all we all have a sob story from uh, the year 2020. We could uh, yeah, yeah. share. And I heard that a lot of productions did go like they actually produced stuff over Zoom. Um, did you did you participate in any Zoom productions? I did. Yeah, yeah, there there were you know several Zoom things going on throughout the year. You know, it, it's interesting. Like I, I want to be as positive and, and art positive as I can be about everything. And there's a lot of of interesting work that was done on Zoom. And there were some pieces I did that really, you know, I'll, I'll admit surprisingly to me that the the form of Zoom served the pieces really well. I, I will also confess to being, I guess, a traditional theater person or whatever and just being like, ah, it's Zoom. It's not theater. Yeah. What are we doing, guys? What are we doing here? Uh, so yeah, I, I did do that during the during the pandemic. You know, with mixed feelings. I think some projects worked better than others over Zoom. But I'm like many of us. I think really excited to just be you know stepping back to somewhat normal life and just having live theater. You know, be be central to the mix now. Is I think what we're all excited about. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I want to ask you is like um, one thing I want to talk a little bit about is about success and the meaning of success for you and, and how you define that and how you kind of in, interact with you know, kind of the, the phantom of success, if you will. Like, are you successful? Are, you, are, we, are we constantly, is it something we move towards or is it something we should just be like, it's good, it's, everything's great. You know, how do we, how do we uh, relate with success? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question and especially with, you know, with artistic fields, especially with something like acting that's so much about you know, visibility, 
I think there are a lot of different ways that people would define success and would define failure and, and everything in the spectrum in between. Um, certainly for me, my views of it have changed. You know, I think everyone, when they're an actor, you know, early on at least there has some some image of, you know, I'm going to be this big thing, I'm going to be a star, I'm going to be, you know, whatever, whatever. I think everyone goes in with at least a little bit of a, uh, a bud of that dream, if you will. Um, and, you know, and you live life and you realize that's, you know, maybe not something that you want, you know, and that the thing that for many would be the definition of success, you come to realize would really be more of the more of a, a consequence of a certain type of success rather than success itself, if that makes sense. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah. I, you know, well, I'll tell you one thing that clarified it for me. When I, I uh, you know, before I came to New York, I, I took a job and taught ESL in Korea for a while. And when you're over in a place like Korea, you know, where you really, you know, where you really stand out as a foreigner, you feel very visible all the time. You just kind of, you you notice that people notice you more just because you look very different and you stand out. And over time, I came to realize, oh, that's a little bit what that uh, that phantom of acting success would actually be like. I mean, you know, one word ever to be that kind of high profile person and have those eyes on you all the time. And it was, it was a clarifying for me and that I realized I'm not sure that that's something I actually would want. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I am kind of meandering around, but I think you, you live life and you realize that success is a, it's a different thing. And then for me, I, you know, I've come to look at, you know, success in terms of like, climbing up and down a status ladder is real, pretty unimportant, but I think living a life that is satisfying, having days that are pleasing to you and, and broadly doing things that bring you joy, you know, I think that is the most fun, you know, fundamental success any of us can hope for, mm. you know, in terms of career or, or artistic pursuits, you know. Yeah, and also I think the system is sometimes engineered to build up this lack, like something's wrong with you or something's wrong with the way your life is lived in order to get you to develop this craving for this hyper real, you know, it's the, the hyper real or the um, out, out like, like kind of out of the ballpark kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, hyper visibility, which, you know, they're trying to create that craving for that. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we fall prey to that as a society. We, we um, define success in terms of hypervisibility. But actually, you know, it's more like just the, the everyday, as you're saying, the everyday enjoyments, the everyday pleasures, the everyday kind of like um, the everyday progress that we're making to, um, to be a good human being and understanding that we are uh, enough as we are, you know, that we're, we're whole as we are. We don't need to be lacking, you know. And yeah. the, the idea of wholeness comes up. Um, a lot of times in the, in the sense of um, that we don't have to chase after an external uh, goal, but rather have that internal sense of, uh, of wholeness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So also I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your upbringing and, and um, to talk a little bit about the coming of age, like how, how you started to first discover acting and, uh, and what brought you into it. Um, 
and like a little bit of the influences you had growing up? Uh, you know, hard to say. I think, you know, there was one like most direct influence. There was a theater where I grew up that had a, you know, an annual, you know, production of a Christmas carol every year, the Charles Dickens novel into a play. And that was just something that was kind of an annual tradition. And, and I remember always being struck by that as a kid and just the, you know, the magic of the theater and, the, you know, the ghosts coming to see Scrooge and, and all that kind of, uh, you know, theatrical magic um, being really, really, you know, impressed by all that when I was a kid. And that was certainly an early influence uh, making me wanting to do theater. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've all, always loved, like, storytelling and, you know, myth and ritual, and I definitely think theater is, is a, you know, is a form of, of myth and ritual for our time as well, and I and that certainly was something that pulled me in also. Yeah, good, good. So you studied in uh, undergraduate, or you studied, you continued from high school you started, or you studied from... Uh, great, great uh, grammar school. Yeah, yeah, I know. I did it. You know, studied in high school all, all the way up through graduate school. And yeah, yeah. The the theater. Yeah. Fun study pursuit. I, you know, I looking back, you know, I don't know if it's you know economically the most uh, the yeah. wisest course of study, but yeah. uh, certainly it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, and then thinking about philosophies and thresholds, like uh, civic threshold of civic philosophy, that influenced you over the years, was there any um, writers or thinkers who, who kind of had an impact on you growing up? Uh, or philosophies? Hmm. Well, what, what are some of the philosophies you were uh, exposed to growing up? The, as far as religious traditions go or, um, or spiritual traditions as well, we can put that in there. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I grew up in a non-religious household. Yeah. But through various parts of my extended family and other friends grew, ended up having you know, an experience with religion, uh, you know, primarily through United Methodism. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I'm trying to formulate good, good thought. Yeah. Um, Do you have any specific memories of like, uh, of, um, from childhood or, or even like growing up or what your reflections on, the philosophy was, or even if it's not, even if, if you want to go more broad, the general a commentary on this religious tradition that was given in your family. Well, I think, you know, I, having, you know, parts of my family that were, were very much not, you know, religious in any way at all. And, and, how to put this gently. I don't want to say like, I guess there were, I'll say there, there were people with varying degrees of reverence within my family. Some of them had a more religious background than others. And, and I think for me, I guess it was good. Because even when, you know, I believed in the, in the most traditional ways possible, I guess that was always a hedge for me against any sort of, dangerous fundamentalism mm. um you know there was always i guess a, a degree of you know a, a degree of skepticism for lack of a better word that i think helped me 
as I have grown, you know, I guess it helped insulate my spirituality from, I think, the kind of necessary, uh, you know, brush with reality that I think a lot of us go through as we, you know, become adults in the world and then reevaluate what we think about things. Um, yeah, I don't know if what I'm saying is making good sense to him. <laughs> I thought that I say it, but, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I would describe it as, as a, I kind of had a good, uh, had feet on both sides of the river as it were. And I think that is, for me, I, I'm thankful for, I think that's helped me as an adult to remain a, a deeply spiritual person, even as, you know, religious dogma is less and less something that I can lay any claim to. Yeah, and then on the other side of that, then on the, on the when you think about the, um, you know, the absence of the, the explicitly religious tradition, would you consider that like, uh, w- how would you term that, like an existentialist kind of a philosophy, or would you consider that humanistic, or how would you kind of what word would you put to it to? Uh, or pragmatic, or what would you put to it? What word would you put I, to I, it? I'm sorry, way? I'm not sure I heard the question right. Like in terms of like my background, or in terms of where I am now. Well, yeah, in regards to um, as you're growing up, as well as where you are now, where would you categorize yourself? If you're not, if you, if you kind of, um, yeah, what, what kind of word would you use that would explicit, explicitly say the kind of skepticism or address the kind of skeptical aspects? Well, I mean, yeah. if I have to be very clinical and precise, I mean, I very much am you know, a secular humanist in terms of my outlook very much. I'm material, materialist in how I, you know, view our relationship with reality. Mm. You know, but that being said, I think there are, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a big believer in myth and ritual, and I think that there are lots of ways that we can engage with reality that have, you know that refer to our spiritual traditions and, uh, you know, allow us to, to place meaning upon our lives, you know, in a way that isn't quite so cold and rational. Yeah. If that makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. And I understand. I understand. So, um, when we think about the show and things in terms of how we've been exploring, uh, the idea of truth, you know, finding the, the idea that, um, you know, when we think about uh, facts and truths, uh, we think about things that are true. That when, when we um, think about small truths, we think about the opposite of that being a, a, a lie. You know, whereas in a big truth, the opposite of that being another big truth. And I think another guest had mentioned that in one of our uh, episodes. Um, the opposite of, of a one big truth being another big truth. So, um, you know, we think about when we discover truths that we find for ourselves in our own life. Um, thinking about that, how mining, I don't know how we, we just, we explored some of those truths, such as the, the idea of success and undermining the, the, um, uh, kind of prevailing notions around success and how we can kind of redefine that in a way that, uh, is more, um, grounded in the body, more grounded in the, the spirit, the human spirit. Um, yeah, exploring that and exploring the different aspects of your life, what you've come to discover is true. And, um, if you expound a little bit on that. Um, Anything that, that resounds in your body or is, thinking about things that you really feel like, oh, it's really like like a truth in regards to uh, humanism. 
Um, you know, I think this may not be exactly where you're going with this question, but I think for me, I, I guess in recent years, I have come to have a greater appreciation for how much there really, there is no separation between us and our body. That even our, what we think of as mind and separate from our body is, is so much tied up in this amazing, you know, electrochemical thing <laughs> that we yeah. find ourselves walking around in. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not exactly targeting my answer to your question, but, but. Yeah. The interconnectedness is definitely one aspect. I think you're, you're kind of keying in on the, uh, interconnected nature of reality. So then, like, you know, in a cold materialistic way, um, we think of external reality as being objective, you know, of objective reality. And we think about materialism as being, um, you know, that there's a building that will exist whether or not you're in it or not. And then uh, the interconnectedness of it would be that the building coexists with you, the perceiver. So anything perceived is actually co-arising with the perceiver. So that would be one uh, example of how... Um, you know, someone who's strictly a materialist might differ from someone who's uh, a little bit more of a consciousness kind of a um, interpreter, or like kind of like the, in, in regards to the in regards to the traditions that are commonly considered yogic or considered yoga or considered like uh, what we some people might say woohoo. You know, it's like yo, you know, you have the ability to influence the the reality by reality is plastic in the sense of that it's conscious, interdependent with consciousness. So. Um, but in regards to the materialism and what you're keen on, the interdependence, it's like that seems to undermine the idea of like the strictly materialistic uh, perspective of things being independent of mind or mind and body being like there's no mind, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of these things, like it's not, they aren't mutually contradictory. You like, I. Like, I wouldn't even, it's not that there's no mind, it's just that the the, the separation, I guess, I, to the way I would interpret it, isn't as, the line isn't as bright and as sharp mm. between, you know, what the mind and the body is. Um, you know, so much of it, I think, as we, we learn more about, like, the workings of our brains and that neurochemistry and all of these things, you know, so much of what we think of as ourselves as conscious agents making choices, you know, when we really hook ourselves up to machines, we, we can really start to see that even those things are illusions, that in many ways the body, and in this case I would define the body as the brain, you know, in many cases, a lot of decisions are getting made before we are even aware of them. Mm. And then we kind of tell ourselves the story that, oh, I decided to pick up this coffee cup or whatever. <laughs> um, and that's kind of where I was trying to go is that I, is so much of what we think of as ourself and, and us deciding to do things is really our body that our whole conscious experience is just kind of riding on top of it as it were um you know it's pulling us along for much more of the ride than i think our everyday intuition would give it credit for mm. um 
and and that's you know one thing for me is I, I see a real convergence between a lot of like spiritual traditions and meditation practices and, and things like this and like our dawning awareness that we're getting from a, a purely you know material you know secular perspective and, and that is that basic notion of the self is not the fundamental unit of reality and we should always be aware of the way that a sense of self can kind of blind us to deeper realities mm. um you know, so many yogic and meditation traditions, you essentially are trying to, you know, to get past the shackles of self. And then I think more about what we're learning in terms of neuroscience and the way that human beings, you know, perceive information and interact with the world, our ourselves are not as central to it as we like to think. And I think that it's an interesting convergence uh, that's happening, you know, between different worldviews on kind of the same basic goal, which is, for lack of a better term, get over yourself, all yeah. of us. <laughs> get yeah, over yourself. yeah. Um, I think we definitely trained and acculturated it to have its clear definition of who we are and where we're going, and therefore that is almost like a cage of our own making, that we're putting ourselves in a box that we're putting ourselves in, and then we're trying to figure out our way out of this box, out of this cage, you know? So, yeah. and that's the, 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 um, work of our life. Whereas, you know, if we just realize we're the ones who created it, then we can kind of allow ourselves the freedom to, uh, not define ourselves in terms of that, of that box or cage, but rather in terms of the limitless potential that is out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And to what extent do we believe, you know, ourselves to be limitless to what extent do we believe ourselves to be limited is all kind of the play there. Um, because obviously in circumstance in the, in the situations we're in, there's only so many reactions we can have, but there's still a potential of like limitless possibility in the sense that the situations we put ourselves in, we choose and then we act within those situations. But there's so many different, um, possibilities out there that we can, we can put ourselves in, um, and then limit ourselves from there, if that makes sense, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So uh, why don't we get a chance to listen a little bit to your writing? Um, you have a couple of pieces I think that you'd like to share. Uh, one of the one of the pieces, if you have the one, uh, well, I'll let you guide that. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, have a piece here. The poem I wrote here. <clears throat> oh, computer, where are you? All right, let's find it. Uh, this is a poem uh, called. Green Eyes Blink. I wrote this poem uh, last year. I was uh, taking care of a friend's cat who uh, who had been diagnosed with a uh, with a terminal cancer and was going to have to be put down soon. And uh, and uh, you know I don't say too much. You'll see the the memories and thoughts that it brought up. So I'll just go ahead and read it. This is called uh, Green Eyes Blink. My stomach gently rattles with her purr. The ears that pointed at me turn away as she looks up at me. Green eyes blink. That one giveaway of affection from felines so famously aloof. Staring at those emerald eyes, I marvel at the interplay of evolution and intention that led two creatures such as us to bond like this on a couch uptown. 
Green eyes blink. Green, that soothing hue, imprinted on our primitive minds, signal of that ancient web which first allowed our precious breath, that favorite shade I had in common with my mom. Mom, whose green eyes blinked as she was jarred awake by the rough ride to the hospice home where she would spend her final night. When she saw me, faintly smiled, said my name, granting me a final contact which I did not deserve. I was with her so many years ago as she cried goodbye to another tiny tabby whose time had to be hastened just like the little one whose green eyes blink now at me. Eyes, those orbs that open to a world of radiation, narrowed to a thin slice between the infra and the ultra, at the center of which sits green. How astounding the quiver of disorder, whose arrows of error collected in the code to make those orbs able to see the realm of light and shadow, among which the other being other bits of universe become aware. How marvelous, yet more arrows of error, whose accumulation yielded eyes that sparkle green. How dreadful, that same quiver, unleashing the arrows of error that launched the cellular rebellions in the parts of mom from which I sprang, and the mouth of this kitten, purring through her numbered days. How much hinges on those errors, those infinitesimal chemical events. Haphazard function morphs sublime. Exuberant existence becomes borrowed time. Twilight and dawn in the blink of green eyes. Thank you. And that was it. That was beautiful. Yeah, thank you. It was very nice. Thank you. So, yes, then um, continue our conversation. Um, I'm going to pull up the uh, printer questions again, just to see where else we have to go. Um, yeah, anything, any other thoughts on the process in that poem? Uh, I'm sorry, come again? Any other thoughts you want to reflect on uh, on that poem? I mean, yeah, you know, it's just the, the, the precariousness of all things, you know, how, how much hinges on, on so little you know, looking at the the wonder of it all, you know, as you can see, yeah, it's just clear in that poem, you know, that the whole situation, you know, reminded me of my mom who, who loved cats and, you know, and, you know, I had, had lost her to, to cancer and mm-hmm. it's obviously, so, you know, brings up a lot of, a lot of emotional memories, of course. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just, you know, to me, just the thing that tied everything together in order of that piece is just how much hinges, like I said, on so little, how something like a cancer is at the end just this tiny thing that happens chemically that just starts to go awry. And on the other end, the more magical side of it, these magical eyes that we have, and then some of them that even are shaded in, you know, beautiful colors like green, you know, that how much even that is, is based on these tiny, tiny little chemical things that happened when a cell divided eons and eons ago that led us to, to perceive the world and all of its beauty and all of its terror and, and how, yeah, 
how much hinges on so little, I guess, is, mm. you know, the thought that is central to me in writing that piece. Yeah, yeah. No, totally, totally. It was very, very beautifully expressed. Um, so talking a little bit about, also about the uh, going return to acting in the arts, um, any uh, any thoughts on new movies or uh, how the direction in which uh, the arts are going now? Um, you know, now with the post-pandemic, now we're starting to open up theaters in the past several months. They've been opening up theaters again. And, um, you know, it's been going okay. I mean, people have been going to theaters and they're starting to return to box office, bigger box offices. But uh, any thoughts on the direction of cinema in general? Um, you know, I, I don't know that I have a good thought on that right now. I think it'll be, it will be interesting to see, you know, as the pandemic forced a lot of studios to kind of experiment with hybrid release models. Um, I, I think it will be interesting to see what movies continue to be a draw mm. for the theatrical experience, but, but I, I'm in no way prognosticating that like <sighs> theaters are going away or anything like that. I just think, you know, I think people will always like going to movies. I do think, our expectations of what we're willing to like go and pay and actually go sit down and see, I think those might change and, and have been changing and, and it will be interesting to see, you know, how it all shakes out in coming years as we really more fully emerge from the, from the pandemic world. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know in terms of just giant, I feel like film, there's so many different directions uh, that it's going. I, I I do feel like, and again, this isn't a new trend. It's been going its way a long time. I do feel like, you know, for me, I, I do feel like a lot of the more exciting writing is is happening in television. But there's still some really good things happening in theater. And I just one interesting trend going from different ways, both from your, you know, your more tentpole big franchise film angle and things that are more uh, you know, for lack of better terms, indie and artistic, uh, just thinking the the uh, fun ideas of uh, of the multiverse that is really uh, permeated the consciousness. I was looking at like, you know, the Spider-Man multiverses and the Doctor Strange. He's got a new uh, multiverse of madness movie out right now. Yeah. That, uh, alongside with uh, approaching a similar topic from a different angle, the uh, everything everywhere all at once, which I have not seen, but I hear from a million people is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. You know, I, I, I do think that just broadly that sense of storytelling of like, you know, many universes, many worlds, again, nothing new, but it's just growing in popularity. And I think that, uh, you know, as that becomes more central to the zeitgeist, I, I think that we could see some really interesting uh artistic interpretations of that coming in the in the coming years and decades yeah, yeah it's so interesting the multiverse all the premises of the multiverse so interesting how you know i've seen some movies even before this uh new zeitgeist you know before in the in the 90s and such like that where they dealt with choices like lola's run i think it was called um, uh run lola run run, lola yeah. run. Yeah, yeah yeah run lola run where they discussed uh choices and how or they explored how one choice can make a big impact on um on, on the life of the person 
and exploring like a multiple versions of the same events, except she missed the train or she didn't get the train or she got the train. Um, yeah. Kind of a thing. And it's interesting. How, I think even back in the day, you know, like there was some literature that dealt with um, some version of this. But um, yeah, it's definitely hit the, the mainstream uh, ideas of um, that, you know, the, uh, the universe is like the quantum. I think I believe it started with quantum physics. The idea that a particle can exist in this range rather than a specific um, location. Uh, so therefore, there's like a range of possibilities within which we could exist in. Uh, that's where they kind of hypothesize that perhaps it exists in all those ranges, you know, in all those all spots right. well, in the range. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely. And I'm, uh, you know, of course, gonna I'm getting far out of my field here, but that to my reading of of where like physics research is at right now you know there's different interpretations of that quantum mechanics and like how do they how do they interpret these probabilities and relationships between Mm -hmm. a wave and a particle and to my again i'm not by no means a physicist but to my understanding of where the research is at right now kind of the the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics is kind of where the energy is right now that's kind of where a lot of people think that that's really the explanation of quantum mechanics is that there are many worlds essentially yeah it sounds so far-fetched but at the same time the evidence does kind of that some of the some of the interpretations of some of the evidence does kind of support that so yeah it does sound far-fetched and again and i'm not the person that can make this case but i mean there is it is apparently like just solid mathematics that is leading people to, to think that yeah. this is the way it really is which is mind-blowing to me yeah and then also um like uh just the idea of what who could we have been identity also comes back into play how the idea of who we are and and how we're limited by the choices we make ultimately or we're kind of um you know uh interpret or kind of the the way in which we experience ourselves is based on the choices we make rather than um who we are intrinsically outside of those choices so ultimately, you know, we are a summation of the actions we take rather than uh, uh, something that exists outside of the outside in and of, in and of itself. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and then there are still like when we think about judgment and curiosity that comes up, that's a common theme in the show. Like showing curiosity for but how does this arise and why does this arise rather than making a judgment that it's good or bad. So trying to think about like, well, you know, what are the processes upon which this arises rather than and then understand them and how they work rather than thinking about, well, I I prefer it to be one way or another or I prefer things to be uh, X, Y and Z um, kind of thing. Just seeing as things arise, what are the consequences of that? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like a good you know, a good way of looking at things, and, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to steer this conversation into politics by any means. But I, I just will say that I think, you know, when we're in a situation like we're in, where just politics is so high charged, and that rather than trying to, you know, think in terms of like blame or value judgments of people as good or bad, it's you know, look for why people think the way they do, why people act the way they do, why are we seeing the things that we are seeing? Mm. You know, looking at, looking at things as phenomena with causes and not as bad people doing bad things, I think is 
you know, I think we'd be well served to, to kind of shift our, our thinking to that. No, totally. I think it's the, the major, major challenge for our time right now is, you know, for many people has been for the, the rise of Trumpism, the rise of Trump. I mean, prior to that, I think there was more of an argument to be made with uh, in regards to the right, um, the conservative right, kind of like having a, a perspective that was like, oh, you know, we want to, um, you know, help financially be more fiscally responsible. We want to encourage family traditions, all this kind of thing. And there was some more arguments to be made in regards to that. But then when you have a spokesperson who's so bombastic as Trump was and is, um, you know, uh, it kind of undermines that whole argument that they're making, uh, not only in f- the fiscal argument, but as well as the family argument, um, undermines it. And then it leaves a lot of liberals or people on the left or the people who are generally are questioning um, the government to be like, oh, you know, well, where is this, where is this party coming from that? Uh, and how can we come to a place of understanding and how can we come to a place of like communication? But it is quite a challenge to, uh, when you see the opposing viewpoints, to see where the merit is in that argument, you know, and be able to be more curious about it rather than being judgmental. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, I mean, always good to like try to listen and hear what people say. But I, you know, I also think that, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to completely derail this in no. a political discussion. But that's no, fine. I. I, I I think at a certain point what we have to contend with is that the arguments are just, you know, they, they are, are just fluff on top of something deeper that's going on. Like, like it's so much now, I think our politics is so much about tribe and identity that like the things we say are, aren't fundamental <laughs> to, I think the sides we choose as much as we like to think. Like I, it's not even about winning an argument. It's about being, you know, being on the right side of things for people being, you know, in line with, with the correct thinking and what they feel is their tribes and their sides thinking, which to me actually just, you know, kind of going back to our earlier discussion of like the ways that we think and, and what causes us to think we think or do something there's a lot of ways I think we kind of delude ourselves in thinking that we believe certain things for certain reasons when there's really a lot of much more, frankly, primitive architecture coming into play within us in terms of like our own just status evaluations and tribal affiliations that mm. that clouds what we think of as our higher order thinking um, in a way that it's, uh, it's very confusing to us. You know, we, we think we think what we think for, for very strong reasons, but, you know, when we really look under the hood, you know, there's a lot more influencing our uh, our impressions of day-to-day reality. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a very complicated topic, but, you know, that's what we're exploring ultimately in the show is the connection between, you know, kind of the spiritual topics and the, and the political. So trying to find those intersectionalities between... Um, you know, our identities and our identities as human beings as well as the group identity, the community, and how we can oh, kind of... Oh, cool. Like, All right. Uh, so I'm not, I'm yeah. not, bearing, uh, I'm not uh, steering us a far afield then. Good. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. We try to find <laughs> connections. Yeah, we try to find those connections where they come up. Uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we try to allow, allow them organically to come up 
um, and just try to find those connections between what is your individual experience, how is the personal political, and how is the personal experience of some person you know, kind of how can, how's that, how's that become politicized? And how has that become, how's the transpersonal become politicized even? Um, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the way in which transpersonal is being the kind of above and beyond, uh, a personal experience, but in a way that is more spiritual in nature. But then the transpersonal kind of informs the political as well. Cause only based on truth can we, uh, can we can we really amplify the you know we can't we can only go by truth rather than like lies you know and false yeah. falsehoods you know so uh, I just want to remind this is the truth the passion I'm ready for Brooklyn I'm the host VJR Nathan I'm here with uh, special guest Ben Samral we're discussing uh, uh, a wide range of topics um, but uh, yeah I mean, we we kind of ran the gamut on a lot of different things and we have like uh, ten more minutes ten fifteen more minutes left and we can play a song out. Um, so yeah, so what else is coming up for you as far as like um you know uh the uh the future and uh and where you're headed uh maybe personally as well as as well as uh where you'd like the community to go? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's hard. I'm kind of like I am figuring it out right now. Like I this whole, you know, these last few years have been so bewildering to me that I I don't it's hard for me to like sketch out a clear view of the future. I mean, I not to to take too dark of a turn of it, but I mean, I just I think the the real thing any of us need to be thinking for the next few years. Not that there's there's so many things we're thinking about, but just where we are right now. Like the thing that should be on everyone's mind is what can we do to keep this climate on Earth livable for humans for a while. Because you know the next five ten years are, are very crucial to that, and like it's it's hard for me to to think uh, too far past that horizon. Because to me, it honestly seems like an open question of whether or not we are headed towards a just real icky dystopia of uh, climate consequences. Um, sorry to to end this in such a dark uh, way, but that is kind of yeah. where I'm at now as I think about the future. Is I just I feel like we all need to like kind of think of priority number one is, you know, making sure we can continue to exist on this planet. Um, after that, you know, where, where my uh, acting career goes, I, that'll work itself out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. Yeah. No. And yeah, no. In terms of pursue, like it is, it all, it is also just in terms of like my own artistry and all that. Like I've got. You know, uh, a back burner project that I've had been working on for years that I'd like to to get finished here within the coming year, and uh, yeah, see see what what uh, what avenues open up for me artistically. I really I, so much as I'm trying to kind of get back into this new into the theater and the new world that we have now, and and just see what what role I can play in it and i don't know i you know i was talking to another uh actor friend recently and it's kind of like this whole thing is like just shaking the tree so much and in a, in a certain sense i feel like i'm kind of just starting again as an actor so i'm just kind of trying to you know when i was younger trying maybe i think i feel like i might have had a 
an image of what, like we were saying in our earlier part of the discussion, an image of what success was and maybe I, I would try to impose on my career and try to like use that as a North Star. But now, you know, just have a little more maturity and, and have, just, have gone through the, the years that we've all gone through together recently that I just, I'm just kind of like, trying to view it just more openly like i don't know what my role is in this whole industry and these whole greater pursuits and i'm just trying to explore openly what that is so Mm. i guess that remains to be seen (laughs) yeah it's a beautiful way of looking at it i think definitely that not knowing as opposed to like you know the strictness of knowing and kind of controlling is definitely a, 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 a strategy for failure you know it's definitely a strategy for for losing control because once you try to be more controlling of our circumstances, you're actually tightening up your grasping on the way fixed identity and fixed. Um, but being, as you're saying, the approach of being more fluid, of being more on kind of approaching the beginner's mind, approaching things with kind of a, a curiosity, natural sense of curiosity definitely brings us to better places than, than the alternatives. Yeah. 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 For sure. So as far as like now we we can wind, we can wind us up towards some music. Uh, any music comes up for you that we start talking a little bit about music and musical influences and and how you have you impacted by music. So we can try to select a song for our outgoing song. Um, any any musical uh, influences on you? I mean yes, <laughs> but I yeah. that oh man that's a that's a big answer. That's a question that I cannot answer. Yeah. So quickly, um, some more. I, I guess I can't even begin for a broad uh, influence that I, I don't even know what to say. I'll, I'll just say like, what is bouncing around my head now? And there's like a a French uh, rapper named uh, Strome, whose music has been bouncing around in my head lately. Uh, I'll, I'll answer a question that way. Yeah, so that's cool. So, um, yeah, let me read a few, a couple of quick things for the Radio for Brooklyn. Uh, this is Radio for Brooklyn. You're listening to Radio for Radio for Brooklyn, independent listener supported radio. Um, Radio for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, public art. We rely primarily on donations of listeners like you. Every dollar helps the new stand air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So all contributions are tax deductible. Please support support us with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper, you'd like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Amazon, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash Amazon, and register Radio for Brooklyn as your Amazon Smile Charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase will benefit Radio for Brooklyn. Now, if you're listening to this program while you're in front of your computer, free yourself up by downloading our free mobile apps for iPhone or Android. Available in the App Store for iPhone and Google Play Store for Android. Um, and if you'd like to su- subscribe to our monthly newsletter, you can find out more about Radio for Brooklyn events at radioforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. And finally, um, there's going to be, a, speaking of live events, there's going to be a live event coming up. Um, Radio for Brooklyn is proud to present four amazing bands in an astounding local venue for an evening of rock and music. Join us on Friday, May 20th at 7.30 for a night with 7th seventh gr- seventh grade girl fight, dirt bikes, Barrett and Castle Black, and none other than Ridge Zone, Bar Freda, 801 Seneca Avenue. Tickets are $10 you can purchase at the venue. 
That's um, uh, what is this? Tickets ten dollars. Bar Bar Freda, eight hundred one Seneca Avenue in Ridgewood, Queens, New York, and it's on uh, May twentieth, Friday, May twentieth, seven thirty. Okay. So uh, yeah, yeah. Any closing thoughts you want to leave the audience with, and then we can try to pull up one of your. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And any closing thoughts about um, any of the topics you've put up? We've called up. Uh, how would I close this conversation? <laughs> yeah. Um. I I don't. I got. I'm sorry, BJ. I'm so going so so dark always with this, but I'm yeah. just gonna close by saying, uh, "Man, I good wishes. Not that not that good wishes are what we need. We need uh, better gun laws. But I'm just uh, seeing what happened up in Buffalo yesterday, and that is horrible. And I I uh, send uh, good wishes to all the people who were impacted by what happened up there. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. So that's good. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think that you know when it comes back to politics, you know we have to understand um, we can we can do what what we can do and what we what we can't control. And you know, there's certain things I think law law wise that we can definitely do. Uh, and I had conversations about like the gun, the idea, especially people who live in states where you know gun rights are so. Um, important to the people but at the same time you know we have to we have to kind of find a find a middle ground to like uh be able to protect the the right to bear arms but the right to um you know uh survive and the, and the right to legislate and make sure that we're all safe and we're all doing well you know i actually hadn't heard about this uh this shooting um it just happened uh yeah, yeah. sorry as far as you break yeah. your uh yeah your uh, relative blissful ignorance on that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, I think it happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, and it's you know, and it is, and I do think that like the, the that debate is is very skewed. I think the majority mm. of of people that are are you know that have like traditions of gun ownership in their lives, I, I think many of them see it in the same way that a lot of us do. I think. You know, other actors have really skewed this debate in a way that's not not helpful to anyone, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunate. But um, yeah, and then um, yeah, there's been several uh, events like that. Even in Brooklyn, we had an event. Uh, you know, the other um, month, I think a month or two ago. So it feels like it happening every every few months. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, and I wish I wish there was more accountability and. You know, we have to kind of get to the point where we have to even realize it's a problem before, you know, like at least uh, collectively as a as a government, as a legislation, we have to say, okay, this is a major problem and we have to address it. So, but um, yeah. but also I want to tell listeners that Choose the Power Show might be ending in August. Uh, we're kind of planning towards uh, we're doing our final shows until August 7th. Um, and then I'll be going along. I'll be going off to uh, study. Uh, well, I'm studying mental health counseling right now, and I'll, I'm going to be going off to do my practicums and, and internships. So uh, I'm going to focus on that career shift um, or career uh, focusing change uh, in, right. in, in after August. So hopefully, people will continue to listen to Radio for Brooklyn's uh, station as to the Truth to Power show until we, uh, we go off air in August. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we were mentioning about a song. You mentioned an artist. Let me try to pull that up. Uh, what was the artist's name? Uh, his name is uh, Strome. Uh, S T R O M A E. Oh, cool. So yeah, so I'll play a song by. Uh, you have a specific song or, or any song? Yeah, there? let me. Actually, let me just look up and I'll find that. Yeah, so meanwhile, uh, this is Radio Brooklyn. Every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. we air. Um, and after us, please continue to listen to the shows after us. So thank you. Um, yeah, if, when you get checking, just tell me to look up. Yeah. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves, I feel so. Uh-huh. Sorry, I'm on. Feeling unprepared. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, we were supposed to have another guest on, but then it ended up being a, a wash for that. Yeah, I thought, thought I was, uh, you know, the, the wingman on this conversation. Yeah. But, uh, I, I was the date. I was the date. Yeah, I have a few songs up by, by Stromae. Uh, which ones are you seeing? Read me some titles, and I'll tell you which one. Alors on Danze, radio edit, Papa Papo Tai, and Fur. They seem like they're in French. Phil's de Jour. Yeah, yeah. Now he's a French. Yeah. Yeah, I think that first one might be. I'll just play the that one, one that I was thinking of. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, I'll play yeah, that you one. Edit. You can edit this downtime out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Are thank we, you so much. Our, I think as well. I'll play that one out then, okay? Okay, very good. Thank you. Ce serait la mort Quand tu crois enfin que tu t'en sors Quand il y en a plus Et eh ben il y en a encore Et cela si tous les problèmes Les problèmes ou bien la musique Ça te prend les tripes, ça te prend la tête Et puis tu pries pour que ça s'arrête Mais c'est ton corps, c'est pas le ciel Alors tu te bouges plus les oreilles Et là tu cries encore plus fort Mais ça persiste, alors on chante Alors on chante Alors 
Enfin je saurai où je vais Maman dit que lorsqu'on cherche bien On finit toujours par trouver Elle dit qu'il n'est jamais très loin Qu'il part très souvent travailler Maman dit travailler c'est bien Bien mieux qu'être mal accompagné Pas vrai Où est ton papa Dis-moi où est ton papa Sans même devoir lui parler Il sait ce qui ne va pas Ah sacré papa Dis-moi où es-tu caché Ça doit faire au moins mille fois que j'ai Comptez mes doigts hey. Où t'es papa, où t'es Où t'es papa, où t'es Où t'es papa, où t'es Où t'es, où t'es, où papa, où t'es Où t'es papa, où t'es Où t'es papa, où t'es Où t'es papa, où t'es Où t'es, où t'es, où papa, où t'es Qu'on y croit ou pas, il y aura bien un jour où on n'y croira plus Un jour ou l'autre, on sera tous papa Et d'un jour à l'autre, on aura disparu Serons-nous détestables Serons-nous admirables Des géniteurs ou des génies Dites-nous qui donne naissance aux irresponsables hein Dites-nous qui Tiens, tout le monde sait comment on fait des bébés Mais personne sait comment on fait des papas Monsieur, je sais tout, on aurait hérité C'est ça, faut le sucer de son pouce ou quoi Dites-nous où c'est caché Et ça doit faire au moins mille fois Qu'on a bouffé nos doigts hey Où t'es papa où 